So this is all year? Y'all do this all year? Every week. Every week? <laughs> we probably have, shit, what, seven, eight weeks off in the last 16 months? Yeah. If we have vacation and stuff like that, we'll take off. But if you're going to take off, you're going to shoot right here, Mike. five That's before perfect. you leave. Wow. Like, if we, we're here... And she's like, we can the, get five, six in in a day. We'll charge. And that's the other we, thing. If we get three, five, five, six in, y'all good for about a week or two? Yeah, we good. Yeah. Be about three. Yeah. You can chill for a I see y'all be everywhere, boy. Yeah. Y'all be talking to everybody, boy. Yeah. Y'all be that's the life. That's the life. <laughs> Let me hear what this motherfucker's going to say. I don't know <laughs> see, what he's going to say. But yeah. that's the thing, too, yeah. T. It's like trying to cover every conversation. Because you can have somebody with a cool sports career, but if they don't have no depth, if they ain't, it's not about even going through something. If they can't impart no wisdom, talk about their experience in a way, it's a boring show for some people, because right. some people don't care what, what we do. Yeah, they don't care about no sports. They, they want to hear that real life yeah. stuff. Right. They're here for the conversation. What about your kids? Like, right. Why they don't like you? Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I worked too this? hard. Now they, now they working, they're like, I get it. You see what I'm saying? Now you get it, huh? Yeah, but that's right. what people, and you know, the, the sports is what draws you in. It's like, okay, they play sports, but yeah. most of the conversation that we like, that people like we have don't have nothing to do with it. At Floyd's crib, mm -hmm. Mayweather out in Vegas, we sat in the kitchen for, what, an hour and a half? Yeah, Floyd Could have been venting. the whole show. Yeah, he was really? right there. It could have been the Just whole entire he was show. Venting. Floyd was venting. Yeah, it'd be. And the boogers, we good? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, yeah. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> How long you been in uh, Tenders? Man, I've been with Tinder about, this is my sixth year coming up. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been there six years, man. We we got three. We got three more on the way. Oh, wow. Barbecue. Now, when I walk around, they be like, hey, it's Tori, the barbecue guy. I'm like, what? <laughs> Better than the TikTok, man. <laughs> That's what I be getting. That's He's like, you the TikTok guy. <laughs> hey, you are the TikTok man, these, though, These dog. young kids don't have any idea I ever played a sport. You're the guy off TikTok, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, how you doing? <laughs> I found your notebook. That's yep. funny. Well, yeah, yeah. you got to let it be there, you know? Yeah, yeah, see, I mean, whatever, it's whatever you can get known for. Yeah. And for, for kids, though, you got to think, for kids, they get all their information that way. Mm -hmm. That's where they find their stars, and they can become stars from that. So to them, you like a bigger celebrity than some dudes doing movies. Oh, oh yeah. No, that, yeah. You, I'm going to be a YouTube star when I grow up. I done heard that silly shit when I go to schools. Yeah. And I thought it was silly shit until... Now, Mr. Beast. <laughs> you the one. I became one. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Beast. Let me make a chocolate bar. Hold up. Limitless. Take a semi cap in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. No one me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a semi cap in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Well, T Hunt, man, welcome to the Pivot, Chan, Freddie T, RC. We're sitting with Tory Hunter, 19 years in the major league. How about this? You're one of only 15 players with uh, 350 home runs, right? Mm -hmm. 150 stolen bases, 450 doubles, over 2,400 hits. Only five of y'all are not in the Hall of Fame. It's Barry Bonds. It's Alex Rodriguez, Carlos Beltran, and Gary Sheffield. Wow. Now, I wanted to sit down with you and have this conversation because I've gotten the opportunity to chop it up with you privately 
and just talk about life. You're definitely somebody I admire and look up to from the adversities you've gone through and the man you've come out on the other side to be and the men you've raised. But for you, T, to be where you are, not just an entrepreneur, a very distinguished, should I dare to call you a serial entrepreneur the way that you've just accomplished so much after baseball, but you come from humble beginnings in Pine Bluff, bro. Like you went through real life with things that you're, you dealt with your father, your, your older brother. Obviously you had your, your mother there mm -hmm. to make ends meet, do everything that she could for you. Uh, thank you, brother, big brother, Taru. Taru, yeah. Was, was basically like a father figure to you. T, I, I don't know if this is true, bro. You went to school and you had a crack pipe yeah. fall out your jacket? Yeah, yeah. What is that type of life or upbringing like? The older I get and I look back at my past and I look at my, my family issues, I look at my neighborhood, I look at all the, the stuff uh, around our city in Pine Bluff, I used to be angry about it, you know, just like, man, you know, I showed a little anger here and there on the field. I showed anger out in public every once in a while. And, and I realized it was my prison. You know, I look back and I made it my prison. So anytime in my future you see me angry, it was because of my past that was holding me back. Uh, but now I kind of look back and make it my schooling. You know, I look back and I learn from it. You know, and I go, man, I could have did that different or whatever it may be. The times when my dad was a crackhead walking down the streets and all the girls are like, I've seen your dad walking down the street. They're laughing, angry. You know, you throw these hands with somebody, you know. We had lights cut off, you know, knocking on doors for food. You know, and the neighbors, we all took care of each other. One neighbor might didn't have sugar, you know, and they'll come to our house to get the sugar. You know, how, a lot of people yeah. know how, how it went. And we, if we didn't have bread, we went to the neighbor's house to get bread. Um, but it was just some hard times. At the time you're going through it and you get older, you start looking to your right and you're looking to your left and you see other kids, they, they got their mother and father in the house and they're sitting at the table, they're eating dinner together, chatting it up and we never did that. You know, um, and you see um, they go to the movies, they're traveling, they come back and say, hey, we just left Kansas City, Missouri. I'm like, what that look like, you know? Right. I don't know what that looks like, right? angry you know now i started seeing um these kids to my left and my right they were doing things that i never thought i would be able to do if i went to little rock 30 minutes north and i saw one big building i'm like we are out of pine bluff <laughs> <laughs> I, I made it you know right. and as you got older you start seeing different things it wasn't until i was about 13 uh, we went to i went to uh santa fe new mexico playing baseball and that was the first time I flew on the plane. I looked down. I'm like, wow, look at the way the, the land is sectioned off. And, you know, you go, go there, you play in front of this big crowd. We had about 5,000 people at the Babe Ruth game. And I was staying with a family. And they made me get up in the morning, take my shower, sit at the table, say a prayer, and say what you're thankful for. I'm like, all right. thankful to be here. But they were just saying, hey, what's your dream? What are your goals? What are your tasks for the day? And I never thought I, I'd see something like that. And I was talking about some of the dreams and goals I wanted. You know, I wanted to get my mom out of poverty. I wanted to go to college and get my degree and so I can help my family. And so I started talking about it. I never, I thought about it, but I never talked about it. Just that experience actually kind of shifted my mindset when I was in the eighth and ninth grade. And I started doing it different. You know, I started 
not being so angry, you know, and say, all right, I got a, a goals and dreams and things I need to do to save my family. So now when I look back at my past, I look back and make it my schooling. It was my prison for a long time. If that didn't happen, I probably wouldn't even be here because all those things were my motivation, you know, to, to get where I need to be, get my family out of poverty, but also I found out my why and my purpose along the way. So you gotta have some kind of motivation. I think my past pushed that. You said eighth, ninth grade, the yeah. anger went away. But was it all gone? No, nah, it was did that, did that fuel anything else in your life? It was lying dormant, you know, it was yeah. there. Uh, I heard Darius Daniels, man, say something about invisible prison. You know, uh, one thing about invisible prison, you, you put this little kid or you put this, this person in the past in this prison with no bars. So invisible prison, it has no bars. It sits in this, this room, and whenever somebody offends you or, or you have some kind of trigger from your past, it actually jumps out anytime it wants to because that, that has no bars. So when my anger issues come out, that was that little eight-year-old or that nine-year-old kid or 13-year-old kid popping out and said, I got you, I'm gonna protect you this time. So those anger issues is something that I had that was in a, a prison with no bars. And so now, I'm, because of my schooling, I'm, I'm 40 something. <laughs> so hey, you be like, you know, hey, be like Kevin Hart. Damn. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want y'all to say that. So I'm, I'm about 40 something. Yeah. So, and, and you look back and you go, you know what? I got you, right? I got you, little eight year old boy, uh, an angry boy, mad boy. And I got you, I'm going to protect you opposed to this eight year old, 10 year old boy, 13 year old boy protecting me as a grown up. You know, uh, I think a lot of people still live that, that life. You know, they can be 80, they can be 60, they can be 40, and, uh, and still have that little child trigger. When it triggers, that little child comes and say, I wanna protect you. Just because of awareness, and I understand where I am today, and that gives me wisdom. You know, even when I feel it coming. You know, I always say, if I'm angry, somebody owe me something. When I feel guilty, I owe somebody else. When I'm greedy, I owe myself. If I'm jealous of somebody, then God, you owe me, mm. right? So I have these four keys, these four enemies of the heart, greed, guilt, jealousy, and uh, anger. And it's all because you owe somebody, they owe you, you owe yourself, or God owes you because wow. he didn't make you the way that person that drives that car in that house, how did they get it? Well, I don't have that talent. I'm not mad at that person. I'm mad at the one who created me, so. Talking about mindset, I read something where you said there's no such things as winners and losers. It's only winners and learners. You yourself, you had to understand how to trust the process and develop patience before the world knew you as Mr. Golden Glove and, you know, all world baseball, everything. Uh, you said there were moments where you didn't trust the process. Mm -hmm. You didn't understand why you were still in the minor leagues. You pretty much were frustrated with those, with those moments. Mm -hmm. Could you speak to that a bit? How did you learn to trust the process and become the person that you are today? Oh, boy. Man, um, you know, going through the minor leagues was, I think, was one of the toughest things I ever, I've ever done. In 1997, I was sleeping in my car. The first couple weeks of the season, we were, we were leaving spring training, and when I left spring training, we were going to um, New Britain, Connecticut. And 
everybody had a place to stay. They, you know, they had their friends. And me and this other guy named Armand Brown. And uh, we, we didn't have the funds for the first month rent or anything, but we knew we were going on the road after a couple days. So once you go on the road, the team paid for the, the hotel. So that'll be where I could sleep. So I was like, let's save money and sleep in the car and wait for it. Then we get our first check after 14 days, and then we have enough money to go into this hotel called the Heart Thorn. <laughs> it was a thorn in my heart. <laughs> it was horrible. Charles Barkley, terrible. But <laughs> 1997, man, we're sleeping in this car. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm tears in my eyes, man. I'm sleeping in this, this Neo Spectrum, the smallest car, stick shift, right? And me and him, one night, he'll sleep on the front, uh, and, and put a towel over the stick shift, and he's had his thing stuck in his ribs, <laughs> and I'm sleeping back there, I'm comfortable. The next day is my turn. I'm like, oh my God, this is uncomfortable. But I'm looking one night, I'm with tears in my eye. I'm like, God, if you ever bless me with anything, any money or anything, I'm gonna be a good steward over it and uh, and watch over it. I mean, just I, this situation I'm in, feel like I was gonna die. You know, I was broke. I'm calling people that I've helped. Four years before that, when I got drafted, five years before that, I was helping people. So when I call and collect on the debt, they was like, I ain't got it. I don't have it. Mm -hmm. I don't have it. You know, I'm like, golly. You know, my brother sent me 100 bucks, and he wanted it back. <laughs> I'm like, this dude, right? Yeah, I better give it back. He, he fight me every day. I'm sleeping in his car with tears in my eyes, and, you know, I, I figured I, I better start studying, understanding financial literacy, you know, understanding leadership skills, understanding myself. So I kind of went on this journey of trying to uh, figure out some things. And sleeping in that car, I almost quit. Because of that pain, because of that pressure, because of all the stuff that I was going through, I was make I was about to make a permanent decision on a temporary situation. You know, I'm sleeping in this car and I'm like, I'm done. I was 21 years old, just turned. And I'm like, I'm done. I don't wanna play no more. Call my, my brother. He said, well, if you come home, I'm gonna fight you every day, right? I'm like, I don't wanna fight him. <laughs> but then I called my wife and my wife said, hey, don't quit if at the end of the season, you know, um, if you feel the same way, then yeah, but don't quit during the season, just keep going through. So that's my wife, Katrina, man, that kind of helped me uh, stay strong through the process. And uh, so I stayed in there and four months later, August 22nd, 1997, uh, they called me up to the big leagues for a cup of coffee. Otis Nixon got kicked in the face and <laughs> broke, his, broke his jaw. And they said, you know, I hate that, but it was like, he's gonna, he's gonna live, so. I got a chance to go to the big leagues. You said he was going to live? <laughs> he would be all right. <laughs> it was this, this far from the heart. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I uh, ended up going to the big leagues, and they, I was there like seven days and got a cup of coffee, and I realized, oh, this is what it's all for. You know, of course you're making $200, $300 every two weeks. You know, that's before taxes. And then, <laughs> and then you go to the big leagues, you automatically activate uh, the first-year roster pay. So I was in the big leagues, I'm making $9,000 every two weeks. I'm like, oh my God, I'm rich, <laughs> right? And then they say, hey, you're going back down to the minor leagues. And I went back down to activate that first year roster. And I was making 3,000, 4,000 every two weeks. And it helped me along the way. And, but it actually gave me an understanding of what I was here for. You know, I'm, I'm here for this. I'm in Camden Yards. You know, I'm looking at 55,000 people in Camden Yards, and Cal Ripken is over there at shortstop at the time. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, this is what I'm here for. Sent down, my attitude, everything was totally different because I was able to see, and I, I don't know if they did that on purpose, if it was strategic, if the twins said, hey, let's, 
I see some doubt in him. Let's send him to the big leagues and maybe spark him. Well, he did. It sparked me, and I went to the next level uh, and was able to stay in the big leagues in 98-99 and, uh, and, and pursue my career. And I tell you what, you got to go through something. All you got to do is keep digging. You know, you might have three feet left. Don't give up. That gold on the other side. But if you give it to somebody else, they're going to dig three feet, and they don't have to go far, and they're going to take your cookies. I'm glad we got to something happy. Finally, T. Hunt. You know, <laughs> shout out to our partners, Happy Dad. <laughs> T, when you look at what you had to go through, you know, you mentioned you helped people four years before that. So, 93, you're drafted 20th overall. You were set up. You thought you were going to go to college. You kind of negotiated out with your uncle. And mm -hmm. you go through all these things, and you finally make the big leagues. And when you're in, in Minnesota, like, the fielding is easy for you. Yeah. What was it? O2 Bonds hits the ball in the All Star yeah. game. You go first All Dog. Don't nobody do that in the All Star game. Oh yeah, See, you know. like dude, you don't you don't rob Barry Bonds in the All Star game. You want to know the true story behind that? <laughs> 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 so one day, uh, the day before that, uh, we were at the Fista Hotel in Milwaukee, and you know I think Barry was walking in, in the front, and my brothers were walking coming off the elevator, he was going on the elevator, so they was path, crossing paths. And my brother was like, what's up, Barry, how you doing? And I think he kind of went like this, right? And my, my brother, I told you, he's a true gangster at the time. And he had all his friends with him. They, they wanted to jump him. <laughs> they wanted to jump Barry, and I'm like, no, no. And then Barry's wife came over, calmed the, the group down, and, and uh, I think, uh, A-Rod came over, saw the situation, bought them drinks or whatever, and, uh, and they told me about the situation, so I'm hot, you know, I'm pissed off, right? And then I'm in center field the next day, and they said, now I'm batting Barry Bonds, right? And uh, Derrick Lowe is on the mound, and I'm like, if he hit this ball out here, I'm trying to get it, right? <laughs> when he hit it off of Derrick Lowe, he hit the ball, crack, and I was like, I started running, I said, oh, that's gone, <laughs> I ain't gonna be able to get that one. And then all of a sudden, it went, whew, Start blowing back. I'm like, oh, I might have a chance. So I went up. I'm telling you, I jumped with all my might just to rob that thing. And then I caught it, you know, and I came down and Ichiro right next to me and he said, holy sh, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know you spoke English like that. <laughs> right, I'm running. You can see me saying nice. nice. I'm running off. I'm like, nice, bro. I never knew you could do that, right? And then I'm, I'm running in. And I see Barry, he was waiting on me. I'm like, man, come on, right? And uh, so I'm running towards him, and then he went low. You know, he gave me a high five, and I went high, and then he went low, and I was going like, you know, you ain't finna pick me up. And then he picked me up with ease. I was like, oh, shit, this dude's strong. <laughs> I said, oh. <laughs> and, he, and he threw me down, and, 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 and you know what? That's when our relationship started. I, I got to know him a little bit, and Barry actually... Better, better than most people think on um, in the media or whatever and portray him as. Man, he's, he's got a golden heart, man. He's a good dude. He would call and check on me every once in a while, man, and be like, what you doing, man? I'm just thinking about you. How you doing? I'm good. I mean, this was Barry last year just checking on me. I'm like, this dude is, is a good dude. And um, so just getting to know someone and not because of the media, not because of what, what's going on, just getting to know Barry one-on-one, -on -one, um, I, I think he's an awesome man. I would assume I'd say that y'all black players have to stick together, right? Because you said it and you got in trouble in the past saying, like, Vladimir Guerrero, that's not a black dude, that's a Hispanic. Right. You know, I, and I, I understood what you were saying. African-American, but, you know, who's, who's counting? It's, yeah. You know, as an African-American, no, it's, it's not him. But I would go back to 
Palm Bluff, Arkansas. I was like, y'all got black players playing? I'm like, what are you talking about? Black Americans? You know, they was, no, you got black Americans playing? I said, no, you, that's Vladimir, Vladimir from Dominica. Yeah. We, you know, we're trying to get African Americans to play in America, from America to get interested in ghettos where I'm from, you know, and, and the kid, they're not interested, you know, and, they, and, and their minds think, they're thinking that there's some plan, but they're, you're not playing. Not African-Americans, and I don't know if it's because of marketing or anything like that. You know, basketball, you got face, right? You can see the face. There's no helmet. There's no, no, and football, they got the helmets, but you actually know what those guys look like because they market those guys. Baseball, it's just a bunch of players. You market a bunch of them, and it might be a Jeter. It might be, you know, uh, Barry Bonds every once in a while, but uh, you just don't see them as much out there in, 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 where, in the, the, the um, cities where I'm from. I'll tell you, know? you why. My son plays baseball, 11 years old. Freaking expensive. It's expensive. It's expensive now. It's bats are $300. Yeah. I got the little Dick's return policy yeah. bat, and I got bread. I can't $300 <laughs> per bat. <laughs> no, don't think about if you got two or three kids, you talk about the bats, the glove, and you got to pay the, the travel fee for travel ball, which is almost $5,000 a kid a year. You know, you, you got to have another salary to fund your kids to play baseball. Right, mm -hmm. and it's all year round. So I could see where you know it's, it's getting, it's pricing us out, especially in the inner city. For some reason, we're the number one consumers in the country. I don't understand that, but but we also getting priced out in, in in baseball, the game of baseball, which I love. I call baseball's life. Life is baseball. Baseball, you, three out of ten, you're a hero, right? Mm -hmm. Seven out of ten, you're gonna uh, ten, you're gonna fail, yeah. right? Life gonna give you those same apples. Right? And, and so when I call baseball life, life is baseball, you need to understand failure. You need to actually turn and make adjustment on failure quick because you're about to face Roger Clemens in 30 minutes. Mm. He struck you out, but what did he do to you? So you sit and you're like, for 30 minutes, I got to face him again. What did he do to me? So what I do in life, if I have something that struck me out, I go, man, I need to make this adjustment. We had issues in this business. We had issues in my other business. And we like, all right, let's brainstorm. I'll, they, they might be patient, but I need, I got 30 more minutes to make this happen. So because of baseball, it actually taught me a crazy lesson about making adjustments. And then when you make the adjustment, execute it, right? So now I take this whole thing into my business world, into my family and my relationship. I, if I make a mistake, I say, was it my fault? Right? No, it wasn't my fault. So, <laughs> so it, ain't, it ain't never so, your fault. <laughs> no, no, never yet. He struck me out. Yeah, he struck I me strike out. out. Right, right. This dude got two nostrils and he drive a Mercedes just like you. You know, so <laughs> he's trying to get you just like you're trying to get him. So whoever has the best uh, strategic plan and adjustment, that's who's gonna win. And Roger just happened to have that, you know, in his arsenal. And uh, so, um, and that's what I, I say about life, man. It's the same way. You're going to fail three out of ten, maybe nine out of ten in, in, in life. So if you can just get one, to get one of those things, you plant those seeds and do all those things, you go to the banks and say, hey, can I get a loan for this business? And they say, no, no, no. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, the law of averages, one out of ten, right? Just get ten, you're going to get one. So right. if you want three, go get thirty. Like asking for phone numbers. Got to do it. Oh, you, hey, you, you asking phone numbers. You at, you at the club asking 10 phone numbers. You're going to get two, three phone numbers. Man, they're going to call you something totally different. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that cat over there. They got a stalker over there, man. That boy yeah, thirsty. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he thirsty. He thirsty. He's, he's got to ask 10 different ones in different spots, though. Right. See? You don't Ooh. keep going back to the same section, though, Chase. Same section? The bathroom. 
This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You stand right by the bathroom. Ooh, boy, Chad. everybody got to pee. Hey, Chad, no. that is hey, predatory. That is that's predatory. That's not predatory. Hey, that's man. a spot in the club. They you should, are, they should you put, are the thirsty TikToker. Man, they should put a rope up if they don't want me to stand by the bathroom. Bro, you all right? I'm good. I'm married. Now I'm talking about back in the day. I'm, man, I thought we was vibing on the you, one out of ten things. So you married? Yeah, married. Twelve years. You, you didn't meet her at about a bathroom, did you? I met at a charity event I accidentally oh, went a, to because I don't do things event. like that. I'd be at the club. I, I <laughs> accidentally walked into a charity event and met my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's charity. What a loud music. What a little dresses. <laughs> my wife was standing there for Well, at least she was doing something for a good cause. She was like, you know what? I'm going to marry this one. Not the one in the club. <laughs> nah, nah. Hey, that was that blessed note. You, know uh, what yeah, they, you found yep. yourself in the right spot and say, he who finds a wife finds a good That's thing. A good thing. Yes. Look at you. And right? I snuck him over there. I gave a little money to the pot. <laughs> you little, did good, little man. Little That's crazy. Yeah. Charity, she man, she been she been dealing with charity for a long time. <laughs> yes. Hey, you don't understand, toys. <laughs> <laughs> My wife the same way. <laughs> See, you mentioned Katrina. Obviously, you know your boys. Coming up, you go from Minnesota to Los Angeles. You become an angel. I think it was Thanksgiving 07 mm -hmm. uh, you signed. And it's like you almost had two separate careers. There was this outstanding fielding career where you was figuring out hitting, and then you become a silver slugger when you get to the, to the angels. And so you have this career, which I think put together makes you a Hall of Famer. But you had to learn to be a family man through that. Yeah. And you had to grow. And a lot of the wisdom that we are getting now, you had to learn through making the mistakes, making the adjustments. Uh, you mentioned Katrina. I've met your wife, mm -hmm. lovely woman. What has been the evolution of that relationship as you've learned to get out of some of those prisons that you say growing up in Pine Bluff kind of set you in? With my wife, we grew up together in Pine Bluff. And, um, and so we, we kind of know each other. I've been, been coming after her since I was 14. And then she realized like, I, all right, he, he did enough. Took me four years to get that. You know? <laughs> Good grief. Yeah. That was dedication. Well, yeah, I've been trying to get that. Here. Then she said, all right, I, I get you, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't always, you know, um, uh, pretty. You know, I, I, I was still, like I said, I was still living in some pain and, and going through a lot, you know, whether, you know, messing with other women, you know, all these different things. And, and, uh, and we fought through it. And we've learned a lot with each other. We communicate a lot. You know, I think communication is key. Like, sit down at, on Tuesdays, 9 o'clock, every week. We, we get up, we have a meeting. So people say, hey, can I meet you at 9 o'clock? I'm like, nope, I got a meeting, right? We have a 9 o'clock family business meeting. And we sit, how was, how was your week last week? What did you learn? What did you feel from me? You know, what can I do better for you? And then we, then we go to, you know, the house, what we need to do for the house, and do we need to fix something, the different things like that. And we sit and we write down, we have agendas and different things like that every week on Tuesday at nine o'clock. And just to keep that communication, how we going, we have date night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, what are we gonna do, where are we going, where are we gonna eat? And we put it on our, our calendar and we send invites to each other, right? So we can know, 
that we're going, and I look at my schedule. You got an RSVP too. Yeah, I got all that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just still try to date. So it's me getting better, as wiser. You know, early on as a father, you know, I'm 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 grinding. My whole thing is like I gotta play this game. I I got my kids. I want to help out to go to college to to so that I can feed them. They don't have to grow up like me in Palm Bluff, Arkansas. And I, I was so driven that way, right? Uh, but as I got older, now I have five grandchildren and one on the way. And he, he got married and realized sex was great. But, <laughs> you know, and so, Sometimes it don't take that to realize sex is great. See, true. Actually, it's better that he got married before he figured it out, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> so they, they brought me five uh, beautiful grandchildren, one on the way. And, and now I'm, I'm different, right? I, me raising, when I was 21, I got married. And I'm a 21-year-old trying to be a man of the house and lead the house, I knew I need to provide and protect, right? But, but leadership skills were kind of shady. Just learning along the way and, and getting wisdom along the way, I'm a better grandfather than I was as a father because I'm a lot wiser and I have strategic ways of getting my, my granddaughter not to give up. You know, I, I have strategic ways of, you know, so my grandkids won't be narcissists or, or uh, about themselves and different things like that. So I have little games I play to make them feel like they, they having fun, but they working out. Mm. They, they doing footwork and everything, but they have no idea. <laughs> just been along the way, just learning so many different things about uh, life, about marriage, about uh, a fatherhood, about um, just being a man, you know? I was a male. But was I a man? It's totally different. That's wisdom. That's something in here. And, and, and so I had to learn that along the way. And my wife was there with me the whole time. And, and we, all we do is she knows that I'm a man. and I know she's a woman. I'm not trying to make her a man. She's not trying to make me a woman. You know, she, she know now I'm built on respect and she's built on love. I know if she gave me respect, I can give her love. I give her love, she give me respect. So we, we, we kind of both in agreement in that. We understand one another in those ways. And, uh, and so not saying that we don't argue or disagree. We don't really argue. We just debate and disagree, and then we agree to disagree, you know what I mean, <laughs> or whatever it may be. And uh, so she has past hurts. I have past hurts. And she had childhood issues in her family. I had childhood issues in my family. So all we do is communicate uh, with, with each other when we feel triggered. And we say, you know what, I, feel, I felt this, you know, and it remind me of my past, right? And I say, I felt this, it remind me of my past. Not much, because I can't show too much vulnerability. <laughs> Got to keep my man, you know? <laughs> hey, uh, you no, mean, see, it's different. You used to be a male, now you a man. Once you a man, she know. She knows. Yeah, you could be a little vulnerable, you could be open, just not, a, more than a little bit. A little bit, maybe like this? Yeah, like that, but. Yeah. Yeah, you, don't live in, you don't live in your neon spectrum, what was it? No, no, I mean, I, be, I can't go to her and be like, baby. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but man, I, I lost in golf $300. I can't go to her vulnerable. She'd be like, man, man up. You know, you don't want your wife talking about man up. Hey, <laughs> T, those are the leadership qualities that you speak about in your relationship, as well as uh, what helped you become an all-star. Do those leadership qualities help you as an entrepreneur? I think I read something where you said you got to get down and dirty and be the example. You wash dishes. Does Katrina make your ass wash dishes at home, too? <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know what? Yeah, that's one of her love languages. Wash acts of dishes. service. Yeah, yeah, acts of service. So she washes dishes. I'm like, get out of the way. I got it. And wash the dishes, or I put them in the dishwasher. 
and let the dishwasher do the business. And then I, you know, I sweep the floor, I do all these different things and straighten up the pillows and I'm vacuuming and doing this. And it builds our meter up because that's our love language, you know. When you build your wife meter up, things happen. Yeah, it's exactly. amazing. Know your wife love language and, and attack that then you got everything. She has to know my, it ain't about the woman all the time. The man got love language too. Mine is affirmations, appreciation or something. You, you keep saying, baby, you got it. You can do it. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, know, you gotta have that, you gotta know your, your spouse's love language. And, and that's, that's something that I've, I've definitely learned along the way. Leadership qualities, as far as leadership qualities, man, when I was in a clubhouse, um, I would, you know, when I was young, I would go and get to know every last one of the players on the team. I'd be like, where you from? Da, 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 talking to them. And then I go to the next person, talk to them in spring training. You got six weeks to get to know all the new, new faces, the new players, even some of the minor league players that might be there later. I get to know all of them and know their name, their background, their city, you know, and how they move and how they tick. Some, some you got to kick in the butt. Some you got to, you know, you know, stroke their ego or some you got to just tell them, hey, man, you got this and, and, and build their confidence up. And, and one day when I was with the Angels, I had a guy and say, hey, man, you, man, you, you got a gift. Was I'm that like, Smitty? That was Smitty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Smitty, he said, you got a gift. And I'm like, what you mean? He said, I said, God blessed me to have run, throw, talent, you know, power, swing the bat, do all those different things. And I'm thankful that he blessed me with that. And he's like, no, 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 no. You got a gift, man. I watch you. The whole spring training, I watch you these first couple months, and you sit and you get to know every person in that clubhouse. And you know how they tick, and you talk to them, and you, no matter what was going on with me, I, I've always been like, I need you to do great. I need you to be better than me. I felt, I felt confident. I had confidence that I'm gonna get out of this situation. But I'm in it. I'm in a funk right now. I struck out four times the night before, but I don't need you to strike out four times. How you feeling? How's your family? How's? Because usually when you're having a slump or you're having a rough time, it's never really about baseball. It's something in here. Right? It's something going on with your family. It's something going on off the field. You're not resting. You're not hydrated. You're not doing anything. Uh, uh, these things that it has nothing to do with baseball. But once your mind change shifts, your game shifts. So I get to know these guys and say, hey, how you feeling? And they tell me. And I say, all right, man, if you need to talk, we'll talk about it. And you can tell when they release it, they go out and play better. And uh, so I try to bring that into my business and into my, my relationships as well. My sons get to know them because you don't always know your kids, you know, you, but you need to go and talk to them and let them have a conversation, get their emotions out on the table. Then I know how they tick. I got one that's angry and I got one that's emotional. <laughs> I, yeah. I know that, right? And then in business, you know, we, we got the uh, team here, you know, in, in Maker's Gym. We got the team with Tender Smokehouse, the team with La Finca Coffee Shop. We got the team with my, my construction. I go and get to know each and every last one of them. I'm still using my gift. One thing about your gift, they can't retire your gift. They can't fire your gift. You know, they can't do any of those things. That gift dies with you. And once I realized that I was 32 years old, realized what kind of gift that I had to make you feel like you know me 30 years and 30 minutes. How did that develop? It's on the, on the front end of your career being around a great like Kirby Puckett. And then on the back end, being around a guy like Mike Trout. Yeah. And sandwiched in the middle of that is your amazing career. Were you able to just take pieces from different people that you met, different experiences, different conversations, and how did you use those to relate them to life? Because so many times, athletes are sought after to become 
motivational speakers or to be on certain panels or certain boards because people look at our athletic experiences and try to glean something about their life from that. So mm -hmm. how did you use those experiences specifically to help you grow away from the field? Going into business, I, I was star with baseball. Baseball had Kirby Puckett, Paul Molitor, guys that were older than me, Midre Commons. They always said things. I'm 20, 21, 19, and these guys are, you know, 30, 30 years old, 28 years old, married with kids, made money, did all these things, started businesses and all these things. And they come back and they give me all these things I needed, weapons I needed to skip a process, you know, to help me skip a process. Uh, so they would teach me and then they would, like in the game, someone tipping their pitches, right? Uh, Paul Mahler would say, hey, um, I was sitting on the bench in Cleveland. We were playing the Indians at Guardians now, but we was playing the Indians, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I had the day off, and he said, all right, he, I want you to watch Dave Berba, right, and tell me what he's doing. And I'm like, what is he talking about? He said, but get your helmet and the little hole on top of the helmet, turn it and put it facing and put the hole only on Dave Verbal. And I did that. And I went out, as I was looking through the hole, the third end, and I'm like, I see something, right? It, Dave Verbal would come lower than his, the Indians and come lower, and then it would be off speed. He'd come higher than the Indians logo. It was, it was a, a, a fastball or something hard. And I'm like, Oh my God, I think I see it. So I waited one inning to make sure before I told him. And I said, Molly, I got him. And he was like, what you get? They had me on TV. They said, why this rookie, this young bug got his helmet <laughs> on his face and looking through the hole like it was a game or something. But I was actually working. Yeah. Paul Molitor, he already knew about it. So he wanted me to figure that out and learn from it. And uh, once I got it, I got it. So even though I knew like 80% of the pitchers in the major leagues, what, what was coming, you still can't get a hit because round ball, round bat, pretty tough, right? right. And no matter if you know it's coming, you still don't get a hit, but I have a better chance of hitting some pitches, waiting on pitches and different things like that. And, uh, and Paul Mahler is one of the guys that actually, you know, sparked that. And so I just kind of advanced and got a little more advanced on it. I always studied. People see me in the back room, close that door, and I'm studying film of all the bullpen guys and all the pitchers and how to figure out these little things. So now, going into my business, I actually go to people in real estate and talk to real estate gurus, you know, hey, what are you doing this? How do you do? How did you do it? And I'll take notes. You know, we got a guy in the coffee shop. What about coffee? What is it all about? Where do you get it? Mexico, whatever it may be. Then I go to the barbecue joint. You know, how do you do these different things? I'll talk to D. Lincoln, who helped open up Del Frisco's here in, in Dallas and learn different things about the restaurant industry, the commercial real estate industry, whatever it may be. So that's what I know to go get that wisdom from people that's been there, done that. If they hadn't drowned and failed, I don't mess with him. See, we had to rock on, and he said his motivation was he cannot be effing broke. You talked about growing up, knocking on doors for sugar, sharing loaves of bread with whoever had them, living in your car and saying, God, if you give me anything, I'm going to be a good steward of whatever money, whatever blessings they are. A lot of times in our community, we don't have that financial literacy. Mm -hmm. We also have the dependency of we made it. Yeah. It's not often that you get to make it or that I made it. How has that influenced the way you work with the community, our communities and communities of people who don't understand that type of financial literacy, who may come from the same, the same background you do? 
that was my motivation for getting out of poverty. That was that was my driving factor, right? Wasn't my why though, you know. Um, what was your why? Man, I could see myself in a coffin, and then a hundred years after me, I saw myself in a coffin. That's what men do. We we go out, and we go way out and say, all right, this is what I want my great 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 grandkids to have, or this is what I want legacy I want to leave in my community that I. I built businesses, I created jobs, and, and people go home and have food, shelter, and clothing. You know, when you can create food, shelter, and clothing and do those things. Since I, since I was a youngster, man, I always told my wife, I told my mother, man, I want to own a business. All because I watched Trading Places. Eddie Murphy's on the street. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's running the business. and he, uh, That little show right there changed my life, right? And I'm like, I'm, I want to be that. I don't, I don't see myself uh, working nine to five. I see myself starting a business and creating jobs so people can have food, shelter, and clothing. I think that's the most powerful thing that you can do. My driving factor is not to be broke. You know, that's what it was when I was younger. Ain't no lights gonna be cut off in my house. I'm gonna figure out how to get it done. It's gonna be food in my house so my wife and kids can eat, my grandkids can eat. Uh, it's gonna, we're gonna do that. That's my driving factor, but it's not my why. My why is bigger than me. My why is not about me. Me not being broke is about me. That's, I can be driven by that, but my why is never about me. It's about others. And that's what I, I try to uh, focus on because I know I'm driven. That's, that's not going to happen because I'm going to fight through it, and that's what keeps me motivated and keeps me going. Why what? is not about you. What was not broke to you? Because not broke having $20 is not broke. But what was the broke where you could take, you had enough money where you could really think about creating jobs? Because I, I have businesses, but my mind's not there yet or my pockets aren't there yet to say, let me create jobs. I, can, I have never thought 100 years down the road like that. Is that a number? Uh, in your mind, when did you get there? Because it's amazing to hear you say that. Me personally, I think you never get there. I think success is an ongoing process of failure that you've made adjustments on. I don't think successful, if you someone say they're successful, then they're comfortable and they're happy. Uncomfortable, I gotta be comfortable being uncomfortable because if I'm successful and I can go and lay out on the beach nude and drink on a Mai Tai, you know, that's, that's. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, bro. You, you, you touch nine figures, I believe. You can go lay naked and drink a Mai Tai. Why the hell you running around here building shit? Man. <laughs> Man, look, man, I, I just... That's I, your dream. I, I'm telling you. That's your dream to not do nothing? You're going to die. You're going to die, die mentally. I'm going to do something. You, you're going to be bored, man. You know, we don't... Once you get bored, a man that's idle yeah. is not happy, bro. Yeah. I'll tell you that now. You sit idle, look at the pandemic. Look how many suicides there were, you know, amongst men. That was a lot. Yeah. Right? Because we were sitting idle, and, and they're stagnant. Things weren't moving. It's, it's all about... You have to keep moving, man. Keep yourself going. Other than that, you're going to get addicted to porn. Mm-hmm. Already. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sound That's funny, what? but it's true. <laughs> it's already, we, we passed that. That's in the past. What's the next step? <laughs> Was, were you bored? You said is that what happened? Did you get addicted to porn during COVID, Chad? I got addicted to porn at 11. 
There was no COVID when I was 11. That was 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was See, just nasty. <laughs> you get bored. <laughs> only when you get bored, I'm yeah, telling yeah, you. Yeah, if you yeah. say, you know what, I feel like I want to watch it. You got to go work out, go do something, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of men out here addicted to porn. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. I've tried it, right? Yeah. But every time I tried it, it's because I was bored. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you were successful, though. I mean, you realize it wasn't... You it said was, take success. It was you. So you realize it was you doing it. And you're like, ugh. You know, you you say, me right you now. versus you. Ain't no you, winners and losers. Ain't, right? <laughs> ain't no winners and losers. It's it's winners, winners, and and, winners and I learned that I ain't want me. <laughs> hey. hey, Shannon loves himself, though. <laughs> he loves himself. What is wrong with y'all, hey, man? Hey. This guy. Hey. No wonder y'all call. We got to pivot. We got to pivot. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to help you out we with that, Tori. You talk about your why, and uh, you talk about legacy and your family, but there's another why. You have the philanthropic mm-hmm. endeavors, the Tory Hunter Project, right? What inspired that initiative, and uh, can you fill us in? You know, you look at a lot of things in your life, right? You, you look at me standing in line, a place called Neighbor to Neighbor. My grandma and I, we were just standing in line, and, and um, uh, we, we go there to eat, you know, some food we didn't have. And my grandma would say, hey, come with me. We'll walk over to Neighbor to Neighbor, and uh, in Pine Bluff, and we would eat food for, for free, you know, and uh, and they had it on different days. So I was always, I always felt like I wanted to do uh, feed millions of people. So I, I teamed up here with Minnie's Food Pantry with Cheryl Jackson, and all we do is try to feed people, and she's fed over three million people. And I'm, I'm glad I was able to be there with her to do it because that's something near and dear to my heart. And I think that's what most people do is try to do something that's near and dear to their heart. You might have someone to say, hey, I need wheelchairs because one of their kids were uh, handicapped or something like that. So they might be near and dear. Hey, can you help us get wheelchairs? Or can you help us do this? So it's something that's near and dear to your heart and that you would try to be uh, philanthropic about. And that's what I... I, I look at, I want to feed people, you know, I want to shelter people, I want to clothe people because all the stuff that I've, I've been through in my life and seen in my life, these are the things that happened to me. So if I can kind of help solve those problems in those areas, I, I think that's living that dream and that's your why. And that's how I created a lot of my, my foundations. You kind of full circle mentioned in the way you grew up um, and growing enough to where you actually said a prayer for your father to be delivered. That's a full circle moment of the way life works, right? We, we start out in Pampers and usually if you live long enough, you end up back in Pampers. Mm-hmm. And you go from being taken care of to taking care of people to then being taken care of again. You had shifted to almost being the father in that moment. What was that like to truly speak to God and pray for your father to be delivered from something that you said yourself was his demons? You know, I, I prayed for him um, and every night, you know, every night I'm praying for him because my brothers would call me and say, hey man, the lights are off and I'm in the minor leagues and I would send the little cash that I had to get the lights cut on or my dad took the TV and pawned it so for cash or whatever it may be and you just pray that he stay healthy or somebody don't shoot him or jack him or anything like that or he didn't die from the drugs. I mean, I, I pray for all those things uh, uh, but at the same time, you know, me getting to the major leagues, I thought money would be the thing. You know, I, I, if I could just make, make enough money to get him in rehab, 
Well, my dad had been 15 rehabs, man, and he always revert back. And uh, so it kind of made me angry, you know, a lot of my dad. You know, I want my relationship with my dad. And, you know, I'm 13, 14, 15 years old. Isn't that this kid? He said, I'll be at the game. And you look in the stands, you don't see your dad, you know. And it, it happened all the way through high school. You're like, I'll be there. And you get there, you like, you hit a couple home runs or you throw a touchdown pass or you stick somebody. You're looking for your dad. He's not there. It's like... Man, I've seen this in the movies, but I'm, I'm actually living it, you know? Yeah. Every time I saw he wasn't there, I got angrier and angrier, you know? And, but it wasn't until I was about 25, and I said, you know what? I'm going to talk to my dad, see, see what's going on. He was a horrible husband, you know? And I feel like he was a horrible dad, you know, all these things. And so I said, took him out, and we hung out for a minute, and, uh, and we were talking, and he started telling me about his demons, about his life, about how... You know, his dad died, you know, when he was young, probably from crushed glass from a mistress. You know, my dad had a lot of different family issues. He was dropped off and his mom went and pursued a whole life in Vegas while he dropped off with her sister and, you know, stayed there for the rest of his life. And and then, you know, he went to Vietnam and his bunkmate killed himself and blood was all over him. He thought he's, you know, he talked him off the ledge, but he ended up, you know, killing himself and the blood was fell through the mattress and landed on him. You know, and he woke up, couldn't believe it, right? And so when you start talking to your, your, your father, whoever is out there, you got a dad that's going through something, they don't talk about their demons. But if you go and you ask them about it and they, and, and they talk about it, don't be angry, listen, because that's probably why they're acting out. I'm not saying my dad is great right now. My dad's still fighting his demons. He's in rehab right now. He's still fighting his demons, but I know who he is. I know his character, I know why. You know, I understand, so I'm more patient with him now, and I talk to him all the time, and I'm not talking to him with anger, I'm talking to him with love. You know, I'm telling people about father issues and how to deal with their father, but I wasn't good with my father. So that's no wisdom in that. Wisdom is heal pain, right? Wisdom is not pain, right? I'm still going through these things. You got old people, people in here. You got people that's older, 80 years old, still mad at their dad, but yet giving advice about how to get out with your, your dad issues. Don't listen to him. Wisdom is healed pain. When that person's healed, he ha has wisdom to give. How has that affected the way you've been as a father? Because we see sometimes you hear, whether it's the excuse or the reasoning, I can't be a father or this person wasn't a father because he didn't learn to be a father because he wasn't taught. And then you'll have, you know, and I have friends that are like this, that, that didn't grow up with fathers and because they missed them, because they wanted them there, they go above and beyond to be there for everything, to be supportive, to be present, to make sure that their child doesn't have the experiences that they have. How did that revelation or even maybe that conversation affect who you were, shape who you were as a father? Man, just what my dad went through, I knew what not to do, right? I still had to learn a lot of different things and sometimes, we, we have issues in our life, we overcorrect. And then you're gonna have the same issue, just different. Because you overcorrect the situation. You say, no, you're not going there. No, you're not going, and, and next thing you know, they got rebellion, 
right? Because you, your parents went there and they did that and they did these things and it didn't work out for you. And sometimes our experiences, we gotta be careful putting it on our children, on our wife or on our friends or whatever it may be because sometimes those experiences that someone else had, they tell you not to do it, but yet it might not have been for them. It was actually for you. You can do it. So sometimes you gotta be careful overcorrecting the situation because it can get worse. And so, I think I overcorrected a lot of things. You know? <laughs> and, and there's, there's no. I thought they threw the parties at your house, T. They, they did. I, I let them throw parties, and you know, I chaperone, and you see things that you shouldn't see. But you know, in high school, them high school parties were wild. <laughs> like, all right, let's have a Halloween party. No, it became a strip joint. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. I thought they have masks or whatever. But anyway. Um, <laughs> So, man, you know, who knows how to be a father? Who knows how to be a mother? Everybody's built different. Everybody has a different DNA. Every person that died, every person that's coming, right, don't have the same DNA you have or fingerprints that you have. You're built and, and created differently, but you're all beautiful. But you can't tell somebody how to parent that child who has a different DNA. You, know, you can't tell somebody how to... We're all different. And so that's what I've learned to just, you know, be patient with people, understand them, get the norm, and once you get the norm, then you kind of um, uh, manage them in that way. And that's what I try to do. And T, it's interesting with your father, because um, I was just thinking about it, thinking about there might be kids going through that right now. Not that they made it to the major league, whatever, but get a little money and have a drug-addicted parent. How did you navigate trying to help him and not enable the habit? Because knowing any, any $10 sitting around could become a damn rock. My dad was very creative, though. <laughs> he was creative <laughs> on how he was going to get it, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, he would come up with some crazy stories. I'm like, man, you are creative. But that sounds like a crack, crack <laughs> move. <laughs> <laughs> you might be going by rock. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. It's very creative, though. Yeah. But, you know, I, I tried to limit my dad, you know? So I would say, all right, get it. you get this $1,000 a month. So I didn't want to give him a love money where he can kill himself. Right, yeah. but I gave him enough that he can eat. Right, his that, but he he worked too. You know, yeah, he made yeah. his money. He was getting, he retired, got his money, whatever. I helped him out, but I kept it limited so he wouldn't. Man, it's people that don't have my dad's drug addiction that are worse than my my dad. Once the family find out you got you signed a five-year, ninety million dollar deal, mm. or a five-year, forty-seven million dollar deal, five-year, twenty-six million, one-year, ten. Right, they find out you got all that, they coming after you. Right, yeah. what about me? That was facts, by the way. That wasn't, you know how we throw out, like, it's like hyperbole. You know, it's not, it's exaggeration. Like if I say, you know, if I sign a five-year, $90 million deal, you know that's not my actual deal. Yeah, no. That was his. And then I he saw, said, what if you sign like another one? It was like 47 or something like that? Yeah. That was another one of his deals. And the, ba the baby, two for 26 was the baby. <laughs> and then one for 10. <laughs> and the one for that like the baby. The one for 10 sound like the baby. <laughs> <laughs> But babies are good. Yeah. Hey, hey, they put it on the news, man. That's the worst thing that can happen. You put all them contracts on the news, you're like, all right, guys, here's the meat. <laughs> Go get them. You know, you know what I'm saying? That, that, that's a good problem to have. But the worst thing that actually happened, Tori, is to be in the NFL and to be a practice squad guy. Your family can't differentiate between this guy that has a five-year, $100 million deal and they nope. think that you're on the practice squad in the NFL, that you got millions. Yeah. I think that's the worst problem to happen because right. you ain't really got it like right. that. Right. That's what I'm saying. Hey, I'm saying 
because you have it. Right. You don't change. Like, people really think that people get money, they change. No, they don't. Money just exalts who you really are. I, I, I just know because I grew up in the minor leagues with a lot of these guys. And then when they sign, you know, $50 million, $60 million deals, you'd be like, man, they'd be like, oh, he changed. I'd be like, no, he ain't been that way. <laughs> money exalts who you really are. Money changes people around you. Mm. Money changes the vision of you, right? So when people look at you, they say, money, what can I get out of him, right? I'm not saying everybody, but it happens, right? Especially with your family members because Team Hunter is like, we all made it. I don't have to work no more. You're a lie, <laughs> right? So they would come to me and I'll say, I'm, I was wondering why everybody's calling me in January, right? So I'm like, man, why get all these calls in January? And, and, and it took me years. My wife's sitting up, we laying up, we talk. I'm like, why well, I keep getting like 200 calls in January? So when I started looking at it, and I found out financial literacy had a lot to do with your emotions. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the evil, the love of it, while you lie, cheat, and steal, or, or you get emotionally attached to like Thanksgiving. Then it carries over to Christmas, and you get a, a giving spirit, and you wanna go out and hang out, you wanna travel, you wanna go see different things, and then next thing you know, January hit, you broke. I can't pay my rent, uh, things that happen. And I got these calls for five years, and I'm like, why is, so I came up with this, this thing called January No. So you call me in January, oh, my house, I'm about to lose my house. I'm about to, I'm like, call me in February. Guess what, I don't get that call, because they figure it out, mm. right? I still, to this day, get calls in January from somebody different, or even re repeat offenders, I call them, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they call me in January, and I still say, no. February, they call me, I'll be like, okay, what you need? But that most of them don't call me back in January because they figure it out. Yeah. But they know that they had an issue early on. They knew they couldn't pay their rent in January. But in December, I saw you on social media kicking it. I saw you in Vegas. I saw you in New Orleans. I saw you go visit your family. Somebody had to pay for that flight, right? So I saw you give gifts. I saw you receive gifts. So how are you calling me in January, right? And they get that call, I figured out if money's emotional, People spend emotionally. Every time I spend my money, I spend it because of my emotions, not because of my mathematics. It's people that are smarter than you in this world that know math, but why they broke? Emotion. Emotions. Your financial literacy got everything to do with your emotions. Well, on that, I'm gonna stop being emotional because I'm trying to be more literate. <laughs> T. Hunt, man, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you, it's a ton of wisdom given ton of gems dropped, but I think more importantly, when people like you get an opportunity to share their journey, all of us learn so much from it, man, so we appreciate you. Man, I appreciate you guys having me, man. I, I understand why you call it the pivot, because sometimes, you know, yeah, you guys are sports guys, but you guys come and talk real life things so to help people live. So you think that you're gonna get this, then, but we pivot and right we up. go the other direction. So, appreciate you guys as well, man. My oh, man. For sure. <laughs> hey, oh, good. Hey, that boy, hey, that boy <laughs> dropped the contract notes, though. That quick. Hey, when he was dropping them, you know, I let the first one slide. I was like, okay. Okay, hypothetically. Yeah, that's, that's a hypothetical. Oh, okay. Then I heard the second one. I was like, I just Googled that. <laughs> you know what? Because I, I ain't look at mine that many times. I wasn't as happy as him. <laughs> <laughs> Three for what? Man, <laughs> <laughs> fuck y'all. <laughs> Hold up, limitless, biggest to my guy pinning it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh.
On the mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, only vision I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless. Take a stomach cap in it. I find the head to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Uh, when I'm finna get me up. Uh, on the mission, get me up.